0: and welcome to the Fallon Forum. Thanks to our local business partners, a couple of them here in Des Moines, uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe, my grocery store, and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Seven days a week, you can still order through takeout. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Noche Jazz & Cabaret, Des Moines' premier location for jazz and cabaret, and available concerts starting live sometime, hopefully later, uh, later in July. But for now, concerts available through live stream. That's Noche. All right, again, welcome to the program, folks. This is Ed Fallon, your host here, broadcasting from the heart of the heartland, from Des Moines, Iowa, the Cultural and Culinary Crossroads of America. Later in the program, a Civil War historian Stephen Goldman going to join us to talk about statues, what's happening to them, and what happens to them after they've been removed. We'll also uh, be talking with Jim Fetzner, uh, Fetzer rather, about conspiracy theories. Um, yeah. That doesn't mean we agree, but we'll have a good conversation. And finally, later in the program, Kathy Burns joining us to talk about um, fall gardening. It is not too early at all to be thinking about what you're going to be doing this fall with your vegetables. But right now, I want to welcome uh, Charles Goldman to the program. Hello, Charles. How are you?
1: Uh, great. Hey, you remember, it's, it that's Dr. Stephen Goldman.
0: Oh, yes, of course. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> as, as opposed to just plain old Goldman. Right, okay. right exactly. Right, right, right. So, hey, uh, I you want know, we're, we're, to talk about the—we're um, going to welcome— uh, Jenny Irwin's going to join us a little bit later, too. Um, it is deeply disturbing to me, and I think to you as well, the extent to which law enforcement seems to have lost any sense of a moral compass, uh, and one could argue that uh, it's been a long-going problem— uh, the racial bias in in law enforcement is um, so noticeable right now. It's it's almost hard to imagine anybody thinking that we don't have a problem, and the extent to which it's been militarized by the federal government in the wake of you know nine eleven twenty years ago. We'll talk about that later. But um, Charles, you know, I my my sense is uh, just from what I've seen in Des Moines. Is that the police have become increasingly um, hostile, increasingly militarized? And you know, I, I say this as somebody who um, I know good police officers. I have had good on, good good interactions with many in the past, and for some very legitimate reasons. But what's happening now is deeply troubling, and uh, you know, not just here in Des Moines, but all over the country. Uh, this 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 uh, this militia approach to local policing and particularly well, how it's cracking down on, on, on Black Lives Matter protests is just uh, inconsistent with my concept of what democracy is about.
1: Well, I think that, you know, it might be better to, to, to frame this a little bit differently, which is that, um, you know, in many ways we throw around the issue of the words racist way too much. Um, I, I think, in fact, what has been on display is the fa- is that we've basically created a, a police structure in this country which sees themselves as separate and different from the population it was actually supposed to serve. And so you, what you see is, is a group think because you have, you have policemen of all racial identifications who participate in the same behavior. Well, mostly
0: um, mostly white. I mean, the police department no, no, mostly you're really white. No, no, you have to be really
1: careful with that. And I mean, well, even in, in, in the whole, in the Vanguard event there was, you know, an Asian police officer involved as well as a black police well, officer well, involved. Well, okay,
0: what percentage? <laughs> Come on, we're talking not, about a small
1: percentage. No, I mean, I, I I really disagree with you, Ed. I think that you, you have to understand that if we approach this as a racial debiasing issue, it, nothing's going to change. The real issue is the role of the police in our society. I, and, and it's because they have become an entity unto themselves. Yeah, and you know, I think... And, and again, I, I and I think that that is the real danger here.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, I don't know if you've uh, you've tracked one of the. Uh, I mean, there's been lots of protests here in Des Moines, and at many. It's, you know, interestingly, at some of them, like one that Kathy and I were at in West Des Moines, not a single mm-hmm. police, uh, law enforcement uh, official present. There, there was no one there. There was another protest. I can't remember which one. Were also nobody there. And then yet you mm-hmm. have them turn out at some of these um, peaceful actions, totally peaceful, totally nonviolent. Where you've got this right. tremendous um, presence in riot gear, and and out come the out comes the pepper spray, out comes the batons. It's it's just mm-hmm. it's incredible. And um, Charles, I'd like to bring a, a Jenny um, Jenny Irwin in, into the conversation. She is uh, uh, she was at one of the protests a week or so ago and was able to capture on live stream just some of what we're talking about. Uh, Jenny, are you with us?
2: Yes, I am, Ed.
0: Yeah, Jenny, again, thanks for joining us, and thanks for what you were able to, um, to uh, capture despite having your eyes burning with pepper spray. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened on that night? I believe it was a week ago, Monday.
2: It was a week ago. Um, the police uh, didn't let us march on Merle Hay, and we're being really, really threatening. And so the organizers, uh, Black Lives Matter, Matthew Bruce, that crew made the decision to car caravan downtown. We had things we wanted to say. They didn't want to let us say them mom or so we thought we'd come to the Capitol, do a peaceful march around the Capitol building, and present our demands uh, around the executive order that Governor Kim Reynolds has promised to draft language for, restoring felon voting rights. Uh, so that was, that was the plan, was just to march around the capital and shout our demands. And we weren't even two blocks in, and cops with riot gear blocked our way and said, no, you can't, you can't march around here. No curfew, ind- just you can't do this.
0: And my understanding was there were, there were law enforcement from five departments, Des Moines, two of the suburbs, the State Patrol, the county,
2: I saw sheriffs. I saw, well, the state patrol was patrolling the Capitol building, for sure. Uh, and then I saw a mix of DMPD and sheriff on, on the lines that I faced.
0: Yeah. Uh, and again, you were asked to leave and then you were maced. Before you could even oh, leave. Yes. Before you could even respond.
2: Oh, yes. And that was, that was after we had turned around twice, trying to avoid confrontation with riot police. And until they finally cornered us on a dark street in a, a random residential neighborhood north of downtown and uh, kettled us in and said, leave, 54321, here's pepper spray.
0: Yeah. And what, what amazes me, too, is that, you know, they, they force you into that neighborhood. And then the official police report by the uh, official spokesperson of the department um, says that you were, quote, disrupting uh, a neighborhood.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, a
0: neighborhood you were forced into, and I, you know, I, I don't know, to me right now, at this time of the year, the worst disruption in my neighborhood are all these firecracker fireworks going off. <laughs> uh, it seems right. like there's... a Disturbing um, the
2: peace, Ed. Disturbing the peace. That is is what they would like, is peace and quiet. They don't want to hear about their racist tendencies. They don't want to hear about their overly militarized presence, and, and Charles, I am going to disagree with you. I believe these police forces are entirely racist, they were, uh, you know, coalesced around these slave hunting squads, especially down south, and that is a culture. And so you get, sure, you get people of color in there, but they are swimming in a racist culture, and it imbibes everything that police department does.
1: Um, I'm not sure I go back to the slave militias. I mean, we do understand that the Second Amendment was actually written for the slave militias, right. the slave hunting militias. Um but the makeup of the, the modern American police force um, is not a slave militia uh, and certainly not in in states that, you know, we're not in slave states. But right. um, I, I really have a problem. First of all, race is a, is, is a non-concept. As a scientist and a physician, race doesn't exist. Race is a cultural concept. It, in In our country, race equals skin color. It doesn't mean anything because genetically, skin color is is a minor trait that has nothing to do with anything.
2: It and means you're eight times more likely to be it, pulled it, over. It, it, I
1: understand that, but it has no meaning in terms of the way it's used as to give one group the feeling that they have, you know, uh, increased abilities good. and and you know power over others. I mean, we need to get rid of race as a concept in this country to start with, but I really, I really feel like that, you know, even in the 1960s, Seymour Lipset was writing about working-class authoritarianism and that police forces are an expression of working-class authoritarianism, which is their resentment against others, and they're given power to play that resentment out. I mean, it's just as inexplicable back in the 60s that a National Guard unit would open fire with live ammunition on a group of students on the college campus, but you give people authority and and you and you allow them to create this group thing of it's us against them, or as the Minneapolis police chief many years ago said, we're an army of occupation in our own city. Um, that is the, the thrust of the problem, and if we keep making it about race, I don't think well. that you're going to see the improvements that you want I, I, because I, I, it's perpetuating it's perpetuating a concept which we need to get rid of completely anyway.
0: I'd like to say that, that both both perspectives are very much the case. I, I but I and I want I want to do want to get into the uh, the bigger um, issue of how the local law enforcement has, has been um, has been militarized by the federal government. But let me ask you, Jenny. Uh, I mean, what you what you saw, what you experienced, what you experienced with your eyes and your lungs and and with your your Ooh. phone camera. Uh, was pretty disturbing. And then we look at all the things that are continuing to happen around the country, e- even despite George Floyd, despite Breonna Taylor. We have these three cops in North Carolina who at least they were fired uh, for, you know, for, for the things they said that were, that were captured on their own recording device mm-hmm. about killing black people. Uh, and we have um, and we have this, uh, you know, Elijah McLean this uh, this massage therapist, violinist in Aurora, Colorado, who was who was killed yeah i mean and just those are two of so many examples i'm just just jenny just maybe maybe weigh in on how you feel about that before we segue to what i hope is the final element of this segment that we have time for
2: um i mean it's like you said it just it just keeps happening and it seems to be just happening to people of color, um, especially the part where there's no justice afterwards, and and yeah, those those three that got recorded talking about uh, killing all the the n words, uh, yeah, they got fired. But uh, Brianna Taylor's murderers have still not been charged with murder. Uh, the killers of uh, that young man, McClain, you just mentioned, they've not been charged with murder. Uh, so there's a lot of this no justice trend that. Uh, is it you know maybe is it not related to racism? You can make that claim, but um, there's a well, lot they, of
1: injustice. No I, I mean, they didn't, Bre- they didn't know Breonna Taylor was black. They shot through the wall. The problem there is why are police able to walk into your house
2: without that identifying is, that is themselves? One of the problems. Yes.
1: You know, I mean, it, it's just what we allowed. In, there are countries in which there isn't a single police-induced death in your exactly in a year exactly. And it has nothing to do with race. That's because of the warrior culture that we have created. And to some degree, because we've also created a population of 300 million plus guns out there raid against that population of police.
0: Yeah. And We're a violent country. It always surprises me that police don't have some uh, more concern about the proliferation of guns. Uh, but, you know, I would, but, agree, with but again, I would you know, agree with that. You know, but back in, back in, uh, after, after 9-11, it was, uh, Wide open war on quote terrorism, and one way to you know allegedly fight terrorism was to equip local law enforcement with, I mean, incredible stuff. I mean, I mean bazookas. I'm not making that up. Bazookas, machine guns, uh, armored mm. vehicles. I mean, we, those now exist. gas
2: Canister launchers. Yeah,
0: I mean, so what we really right. have, we've really gone from what was supposed to be a citizen-based community, you know, element of community support of mm. police department to this incredibly militarized, basically, occupation army.
1: That's right. I think that that's an important point.
0: Yeah, and, and that's, a, that, I mean, how do we get rid of that? How do we turn that, how do we stuff that genie back in the bottle?
1: Well, I mean, I guess you get back to the reforms that are being asked for by groups like Black Lives Matter and the and the others who are out in the streets with them. Because it goes beyond the issue of of just dealing with racial bias. There's, there are other reforms, much more structural yeah. and and I, I wish we would put it better than let's defund the police. I think we need to make that clearer for other people what that means.
0: What does that mean?
2: That's a good question. Ben, I mean, what what we need we'll... I can answer if you'd like. sure yeah, no, that's what I'd like you to actually. We do need to defund the police. One of the reasons they're able to buy all of this militarized gear is because they have enlarged budgets. If we would defund them, take away all of that play money, give it to people who are actually doing the crisis work, give it to people like counselors, substance abuse crisis counselors, uh, sexual counselors that are there for sexual crisis. I mean, there are all these people that are already doing this work, but they don't get the funding because it's all being sucked up by these bloated Uh, police budget. So they do need defunding. And if it's not down to zero, sure, we can leave them something. That's fine. But they need to be defunded.
1: And how do you think the elderly Trump voter hears that?
2: I, I suppose they grab their gun. That's what they do. No matter what they
0: hear, I, I don't know. I'm not an angry Trump voter. <laughs> <laughs> we have that person on later in the program. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. yeah. Hey, well, we got to run to a break. Um, we could talk about this a lot more. I think you know. I just in conclusion, I would add that I think the um, the 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 racial issues that the, the issues of racism that uh, have been raised by the Black Lives Matter movement are are being a. I mean, there is some effort to address some of them to some degree. I mean, we have a heck of a long way to go. But I think the fact that they are beginning to be addressed, I mean, just in Des Moines, the city council, the, it sat on its hands for a long, long time, but it just passed a good start to a racial profiling ordinance. And then beyond that, Charles, what you're talking about, I mean, the bigger picture about the um, the, the 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 way we've developed um, Militarized police units in this country. I mean, again, I think about Ireland. Police in Ireland, the Garda, don't even have a gun. They do not carry guns. So right. you know, so we've got a long ways to go in this um, in this effort. And again, I, I think, um, and it, I think you know, Jenny, the the, the work you've done um, trying to document some of the uh, problems is commendable, and I really appreciate you taking the time to join us.
2: Uh, sure. Uh, do we have time for one quick thing about Sh- this week? Sure. Uh, We are pushing the governor hard this week to sign her promised executive order, uh, restoring voter rights, or resign. So that's the big push this week. Come down to the Capitol. If you can put your body here, we need your body.
0: This is uh, in Iowa, Governor Kim Reynolds, because Iowa is, I believe, the only state that still does not automatically restore voting rights for someone who, a felon who is, you know, out of prison. That's correct. Yeah. Jenny, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Jenny Irwin, with us, folks, and uh, again, Charles Goldman co-hosting with me today. Uh, This is Ed Fallon, your host. We'll be back in just a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
3: Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual.
0: Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location and stylish ambiance, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Scott Smith, Tina Haas-Finley, and Nick Leo. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. If you haven't been to Noche, you haven't experienced the fullness of Des Moines' cultural revival. If you have, we're sure you'll be back. Noche, located on Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. A quick shout out to a couple of our local business partners here in the Des Moines metro, thanks to Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. That's Hawk Restaurant. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. That's Story County Veterinary Clinic. Welcome back to the program, folks. Again, this is Ed Fallon, your host here. Uh, later in the program, uh, Jim Fetzer is joining us. We're going to talk about conspiracy theories. Uh-huh. And then later in the program, uh, Kathy Burns will join us as we talk about what to do to prepare for a fall garden. At the moment, I'd like to welcome Dr. Stephen Goldman to the program. He's a Civil War historian, among other things, and he is, full disclosure, the brother of Dr. Charles Goldman, who is also with us uh, on the program today. Uh, Stephen, welcome to the program.
4: Oh, thanks. It's always good to be on.
0: Yeah. So um, I, I, we'll see where this goes. Uh, maybe the brothers Goldman will end up fighting over this one. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> uh, statues. There's been a lot of conversation about the Civil War statues, the other statues that um, are offensive for one reason or another, Columbus in particular, that um, have been defaced, uh, in some cases um, pulled down, in some cases taken down by the very city officials that put them up at one point. Uh, my favorite was um, Columbus being uh, tossed into a pond. I thought that was kind of um, kind of symbolic, <laughs> um, and apparently uh, the Columbus in Boston had his head cut off. So uh, there, there's some jokes to be made there. If I was a late night comic, which I'm not, I also know that um, there are probably some people who are pretty upset about this, but I understand where these folks are coming from. Um, my question for you guys is. What do you think about it? And beyond that, what happens once these statues are removed? What happens?
4: Well, I mean, it's we have several issues here, and I think that I think Charles, we've discussed it, and I think you generally agree with this. There's different categories, and um, I mean, let's start with the statues to the Confederacy, statues the Confederate generals in particular. Those statues, for the most part, were not erected or crafted right after the Civil War. They came in the midst of probably the worst racial polarization in, history, in our history, which was during uh, the late 1880s, early uh, 1890s Jim Crow era. That's when those statues came in, and they were pure symbolism of white supremacy and racism. And those are the ones you're seeing, for example, like the Lee statue in Richmond, Um, other statues that are coming down. And I I have no problem with that in the sense of their long overdue removal, but I believe what should be done is what, for example, what used to be the Museum of the Confederacy in Richmond, which is now the Museum of the American Civil War, is taking some of those statues, putting them them in museums, and then
1: educating people about how they existed in the first place.
5: Stephen, what about... Putting
1: what about putting up statues of Confederate generals on the battlefields themselves.
4: You know, that's, that's a different story. And, and that, but Charles, that's a very good point. And, for example, th- that was a big controversy in one of my hopefully soon-to-be-published books was about a police, police statue at Gettysburg. And Union, union veterans were, were outraged at the idea of having the state of Pennsylvania, no less, pay for such a statue. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a very good point. You've got that aspect. Um, you've got the brand-new announcement of the removal of Woodrow Wilson's name from buildings at, at Princeton in relation to was just announced by the president of Princeton University. And then as I was telling Ed, um, you know, the flip side, a disgraceful example of not understanding history and doing the opposite of what you're hoping to achieve was the vandalism of the Massachusetts 54th statue, the most beautiful statue of all, the base relief that August St. did, that sat literally in the Boston Common and was was defaced with, with obscene graffiti uh, a couple of weeks ago. Why? That's a very interesting question. That, that statue was paid for by the members of the Massachusetts 54th,
0: and again, who is, uh, the, who is the Massachusetts? Who is that uh, that group, uh, Steve? Right, the
4: Massachusetts Fifty Fourth were the first African American regiment. One of the who few that actually was state regiments.
1: Uh, not of, not the one that is the subject of glory.
4: That is the subject of glory. The subject of glory. Oh, uh, glory. glory. Okay, of course. so okay. and um, the statue was originally was initially paid for by the veterans themselves, that are right. the members of the regiment, and other uh, and, and and free people of color. Uh, And then it was expanded by, uh, also funding that came from the city of Boston, by one of the finest sculptors of his time, Augustine Goodens, who specifically used African-American models, had over 40 African-American men as the models for the soldiers, so that they all were, their faces were all distinct, they were very unusual, and only if you don't know the history of a Civil War regiment could you possibly view... As someone did in the New York Times uh, a few days ago, called that a statue of white supremacy because um, Shaw's on a horse. Well, if that was a white regiment, Shaw would be on a horse,
1: right? Uh, well, this is the, yeah, yeah. This this is what we've discussed, which is there is you can't change history in in the sense that at the time they wouldn't have been cavalry soldiers, and they so were, they were infantry. No, but that's the history, and then, and, and it, you know, it, it's some of this is a reaction to the way certain figures have been whitewashed, so to speak, like Columbus, you know, who we all know was a genocidal killer, um, and but to to deface you know the statue because the white officer's on a horse, you can't. All, you can't make the past be what you want it to be. Right, but there's nothing pejorative about that. Right. And well, again,
4: what's pejorative? I mean, because all officers were on a horse. I mean, that, that's yeah. ludicrous. And not only that, the history of when they dedicated this, the monument.
1: Right. Well, yeah. we don't know that this wasn't defaced by by white supremacists. It
4: no, was, there is, no, 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 we do. No, that is not what happened. This so who defaced it? It was defaced. I mean, Black Lives Matters was written on it. As far as we know, that is not the case. And it's been and it's been defaced before. But do mm-hmm. they, Matter- Matter-
0: they actually know who did it? I mean, just because you wrote BLM on it doesn't mean you're going to identify uh, who did
2: it.
4: Well, why why would you target? I mean, Ed, at, at the at the thing I mentioned, which is what happened in um, in Fredericksburg, Virginia, where I think they made a, another mistake again. By removing in the center of town, there was a slave block, a slave auction block. That's not a statue that was made during Jim Crow. That was an actual slave block that was del- that was left in the town square with a ver- with a very informative marker as to the- in a beautiful city like Fredericksburg that p- human beings were sold, and it was the marker was there. When the last time we were in Fredericksburg, people were looking at that, they were reading it, they may not have known about it before. So what, so what happened recently? Because there were protests about that being there in the past mm-hmm. month. It was, re- it was removed, and now it's going to be placed in a museum. How many more people do you think would, would see that and read that plaque because it's out there, as opposed to sticking in a museum?
0: So what you're saying, uh, Steve? What you're saying, Stephen, is that we should approach this more like the uh, the Germans post-Hitler approached awareness about the Holocaust. Absolutely, out there. They didn't close down the concentration camps; they turned them into places of learning and remembering, uh, with the intent of making sure that those sort of things never ever happen again.
4: Yeah. Matter of fact, we have a great example that just happened with *Gone with the Wind*. I don't know if you followed this, uh, HBO, there's a new HBO channel, HBO Max, I think it's called, um, which removed Gone with the Wind from the films that were going to be posted. But to its credit, do you know what they've done? They have reposted it with a commentary by a very knowledgeable African-American historian, Happens happened to be on TCM, with a 57-minute panel discussion about how the film was made, about the context in which it was made, and that's now been reposted so you can see the film, but you now have knowledgeable people giving the context for it. That's the way you do this. And uh, there was a great article that Eugene Robinson talked about in the Washington Post, and he, as usually makes a lot of sense. You have to look at them individually. You can't lump all these things because these are all very different, and I don't want people to get the wrong impression of what I'm saying. I'm not in any way not advocating for removing Confederate general statues or taking the names of Confederate generals off of U.S. Army, you know, installations. Right, but this is not the same.
1: Or removing the Confederate statues from the Capitol.
4: Exactly, the US they're, Capitol. Still they're still there. They're still there.
1: Right,
4: and that is that is I mean, U.S. Grant statue, I believe, was toppled. Am I correct? It was a Grant statue that was toppled.
1: Right, because he owned a slave.
4: Well, actually, it wasn't his slave.
1: It no, was it was his father-in-law's slave. He freed, he freed the slave when he himself and his family lived in poverty. He freed that is his correct.
4: slave. That is correct. And it, it, also, is... it also ignores the fact that of all the presidents of the United States, Grant destroyed the Klan.
0: Right. Okay, so let me, uh, let me be clear, Stephen. You, you, you do support removing some of the, the, the Confederate statues, possibly Columbus statues, maybe other statues that are deeply and clearly racist? Yes, yes, okay.
4: but I want them to be put into places where people are given the chance to understand the history involved.
0: And where would that be?
4: I, I think museums are where they belong. Again, I think um, for the Lee statue, I think the American the, the Museum of the American Civil War is the perfect place for it because that was, that was the heart of the Confederacy. And I, I spoke there three years ago when they first reopened, and it's a marvelous
1: museum. Uh, And and, and I think there's there's certainly a context for that, because didn't, in fact, they just opened a museum down in either Alabama or Mississippi, the history of lynching in this country?
4: Exactly. I mean, I was going to make the same point. Several years ago, Kit and I, my wife and I, went to see a marvelous exhibit at the New York Historical Society, which went national. The history of lynching in the United States. I I don't know if you guys saw it, but it went national. It was one of the most moving Terrifying exhibits I've ever seen, and we went we went to see it, and people walked by, and there was like no discussion, because it was like a holy place to look at those pictures of the postcards and the exhibit. There was a marvelous movie about Ida B. Wells Barnett, you know, the, the one of the founders of the NAACP, and but that that's what we need to do. You have to understand if you're not, if you're going to use history, you have to know the history. You have to put it in context.
0: You do I, have to have that Ge- kind of thing. Do I hear a George Santayana quote coming up here? Those who don't remember history are condemned to repeat it.
1: Well, but I thought the purpose of history was two
4: things. To know where we are, you have to know where we've been. Exactly. And, and to
1: also know where we're going. Well, and we also have to – this is – but, you know, this is the – the wellspring of this is the microaggression safetyism of American universities. Don't, don't bother me with things that, you know, don't make me read or, uh, you know, have to study anything that's going to make me feel uncomfortable. You know, the history of this country is uncomfortable, and it's uncomfortable yeah. – it should be uncomfortable for whites also. Yeah. That's in around. Yeah. You know, and maybe then they would understand that it's not just about lynching and slavery. That, for instance, the reparations movement is about. Yeah. It's about redlining, and keeping you know blacks from being able to buy in neighborhoods in places like Chicago and New York and Boston. That now means that a hundred years, you know, sixty, seventy years later. White's wealth is still 10 times that of the average black person in this country, and almost all of that is because of real estate disparity. And
0: I guess the point is that we can maybe learn from, uh, have some preservation of these statues in, in, with, with appropriate text and descriptions of how problematic they are and why. Hey, um, folks, I got to run to a break here. Um, uh, Stephen, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Folks, we've been talking with Dr. Stephen Goldman about the controversy around removal of statues. Uh, Dr. Charles Goldman, sticking with us, we're going to have a, a switch gears a bit here and talk about a couple of conspiracy theories with uh, with Jim uh, Fetzer. After the short break, um, we'll take a look at the Boston Mar- the Boston Marathon massacre, murder, whatever you want to call it, um, bombing, and uh, then I guess uh, Jim and some others also are uh, also agree with some conspiracies relevant to the coronavirus. We'll talk about those things when we come back from a short break on the Fallon Forum. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, a delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let Gateway's catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Gateway's expert floral designers can even customize the perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market, good food, great entertaining.
6: Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant... Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766.
0: Welcome back to The Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks, as we broadcast from the heart of the heartland, Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Uh, Thanks to our local nonprofit uh, sponsors, uh, Bold Iowa, fighting climate change and the Dakota Access Pipeline since 2015. That's boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Learn how to turn your yard into dinner. Check out birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right, welcome back to the program. Later in the program, uh, Kathy Burns is going to join me as we talk about, uh, about fall gardening. This is our, that's our warm and fuzzy segment where we talk about uh, something everybody can get behind, growing food. But in the meantime, uh, we're going to go to a conversation with uh, Jim Fetzer. Again, Charles Goldman co-hosting with me today. Uh, Jim is uh, organizer of the 2020 Question Everything Conference. Uh, Jim, welcome to the program.
5: Oh, I'm delighted to be here, Ed. Thanks so very much.
0: And again, knowing knowing right up front that you and I may not agree much on anything, I don't know. We're going to find out. But uh, I, you've written a heck of a lot of books, and all of them that I see involve um, questioning whether a certain significant event may have been, well, you you claim that it was a conspiracy, um, 9-11, the Boston Marathon, and um, the coronavirus as well. So, um, Start us off, maybe, I mean, we have time for, for both of these, I guess. Uh, maybe start us off with the Boston Marathon. Why is that, why did that not actually happen?
5: Yes, well, I appreciate the opportunity to address the issues. We had uh, police on bullhorns calling out, this is a drill, this is a drill. They had bomb-sniffing dogs at the vicinity. The Boston Globe was tweeting that a demonstration bomb would be set off. During the marathon, for the benefit of bomb squad activities, the second tweet, that one would be set off in a minute. And sure enough, in front of the Boston Public Library, one of those explosives was set off. Now, I'm a former artillery officer in the Marine Corps, and I can assure you those explosives weren't powerful enough to kill anyone unless you were sitting right on top of them. When cameras moved in through the smoke, you could see bodies lying there that were missing arms and legs. But there was no blood. Now, that's a physiological impossibility to have arms and legs blown off by explosives and there to be no blood. The blood only showed up later. And it came out, I initially thought, out of tubes. It actually came out of little orange uh, fake blood kits that were strewn around the area so, thereafter. So, Jim, they photoshopped the two brothers into the scene and made mistakes when they did it that actually are exonerating, as I will explain. So,
0: after. L- l- so let me let me ask you this: you want we'll just start with your first point about the uh, the police bull, the police yelling through bullhorns. This is the drill. This is the drill. I've listened to yes. the, I've listened to that tape, and I noticed for some bizarre reason, uh, music has been dubbed into it, and the only and and. and even without the music being dubbed into it, I think it would be hard to tell what exactly is being said. I do not hear had, I do not hear this is a drill being said. I'm not sure what I hear. It's too garbled, it's too inaudible, but having the music playing in the background does nothing to enhance the certainty of what actually is being said. So I, to me oh, that no, seems no, very no,
5: no. yeah No, and we had witnesses who were their participants who who confirmed they were saying this is a drill that's really not a lot of room for doubt about it. So where are those witnesses? Then, where are those
0: witnesses? All I, all I have is the videotape, uh, and it, it's not at all clear what's being said. Who are the witnesses? Well, if
5: you, if you go through the block, and you know, I'm, I'm pretty certain I got a couple of the witnesses cited in there, but the fact is, when you got tweets... When you got tweets from the Boston Globe saying a bomb is going to be set off during the for, you know during the marathon for the benefit of bomb squad activities and when you zoom in through the smoke and their bodies without arms and legs with there is no blood okay, so, they were using they were using amputee crisis actors okay, it mean, so, was a pretty pretty clever idea let's,
0: let's let's go back go back to the Boston Globe tweets I tried to find those I, I dug diligently I could not find those Boston Globe tweets anywhere
5: well, I didn't make them up, Ed. They may have sought to, you well, know... I don't, you know I, don't, Florida, I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't find them. I, mean, huh? I can't well, find that's them interesting. anywhere. interesting, yeah. That's very interesting because, I mean, they're trying to cover their tracks. I mean, this is really, uh, it's really shocking. What I do is bring together groups of experts, Ed. I don't do any of this just on my own. And I've dealt with JFK, 9-11, Sandy Hook, Boston Bombing, Orlando, Dallas... I mean, look, this, this Boston bombing is as cut and dry as they come. I'm very curious. Right. But uh, you're just, uh, you aren't finding the evidence that ought to be there, although I'm not surprised because they clean things up so much on the Internet these days. Well, speaking of— Once, spe- they, spe- discover, spe- once they discover evidence, you know, that's incriminating
0: or blows their cover, they seek to wipe it out. Okay, so speaking of— Sanders, what was, or,
5: Jim, Jim, what was
0: the purpose then of this bombing?
5: Well, it appears to have been to undermine the Fourth Amendment against unreasonable search and seizure, bringing a militarized unit into a major American city. They were forcing individuals, you know, out of their homes or into their homes without any warrants. It was a, it was a pretty odd one. It was a pretty odd one, I agree. It's not quite like uh, uh, Sandy Hook or Parkland or even Las Vegas, where the gun control agenda is so blatant. This appears to have been somewhat more subtle.
0: So what you're saying that Sandy Hook and Parkland Parkland were also uh, also conspiracies. They didn't happen. People weren't
4: killed. Well,
5: to say they didn't happen, they, oh. they were staged. They were orchestrated. They were fake events. I mean, and the evidence is simply overwhelming. Actually, you know, I have a new, sh- I have a new show I've just begun called The Conspiracy Guy. It's at JimTheConspiracyGuy.com. And I just did a two-parter, How to Spot a False Flag. Where where uh, I go through about sixteen of these different faked events and give you just the most crucial telling evidence. Okay, but how do Why
0: I, I how, how do I spot a false conspiracy? <laughs> I mean, I mean, take Sandy Hook. Um, you you realize that nobody died in Sandy Hook, uh, and yet yeah, one of the parents of one of the children who died filed a lawsuit against something you published in your book, and the the court found. That person to be justified in that suit and awarded them four hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. But you know, though the particulars, I look. I'm about to publish a book about the lawsuit. It was completely outrageous. It violated all the standard protocols. It's what's qualified as a, a slap suit, a strategic lawsuit against public participation. They're not actually filed because they expect to win, they're filed to create a certain public impression. In fact, they're outlawed in 27 different states, but evidently not in Wisconsin. Now, because of the controversial nature of the case, I couldn't find an attorney to represent me. But the court violated the protocols for the conduct of a process like this. It was done with a summary judgment. Which is widely recognized in the law and even taught in the law schools is inappropriate for defamation cases. So uh, th- let me, I, I had I had two expert witnesses let me, on um, my side. The court just set aside. Th- this is one. Let, let the me law let me bring let me bring Charles. I want to bring Jim. I want to bring Charles.
0: I want to bring Charles back into this. Uh, Charles, um, which conspiracy sure. theories do you subscribe to? I'm sorry. Which conspiracy theories do you subscribe to?
1: Uh, <laughs> I mean, the problem I have with all conspiracies, because I, I, I remember being, you know, very much uh, influenced by the idea of the conspiracy around, you know, the JFK assassination. The problem I always have, and I mean, you know, maybe Jim can talk to, is that there's just too many people involved in to make these conspiracies that somehow nobody ever shows up and says, this is what I did.
5: Well, it's a popular opinion, but it happens to be false. I mean, lots of people talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Lyndon talked about it, and he was the key player in relation to JFK. Sam Giancana, you know, Traficante, the key players, many of them talked about it. But the fact is, once you discover the fabricated evidence, this tends to be the key. The autopsy x-rays were altered to conceal a fist-sized blot to the back of the head. Another brain was substituted for that of JFK. There was evidence of a second shot to the head internal to the x-ray. They they altered the whole movies to, to eliminate... The the true causes of his death, including a limo stop that appears to have lasted for as many as twenty seconds, huh. during which he was actually shot in the head two or even three times. Jim, I mean, let me let me
0: bring let me bring us up to current times, Jim. Before we run out of time, uh, coronavirus um, in the news this week getting much much worse in places like Florida, uh, Texas. Uh, but you're also of the belief that this coronavirus thing is not just blown out, blown out of proportion, but is also an element of the conspiracy theory.
5: Well, it's, uh, we have a wonderful report from the Swiss policy research on my blog at jamesfetzer.org that points out among, this is maybe the most thorough and comprehensive we have about the coronavirus, which makes it its very first point. According to the latest immunological and seriological studies, the overall lethology of COVID-19 is about 0.1%, and others one-tenth of one percent, and that's in the range of a strong seasonal flu. Now what's going on here is an elementary fallacy of equivocation. You got a word, in this case case, they're talking about increased number of cases but those are just the results of tests that people have the coronavirus. Well, it turns out coronavirus is very widespread. The common cold virus is a coronavirus. If they tested you or me, we'd almost certainly test positive for coronavirus. But that does not mean we are sick. It doesn't mean we have the symptoms. It doesn't mean we're going to you know, be in a state where we need medical attention.
0: Well, let me. That's, um,
5: where, that's, that's where the governors of Florida and Texas and California all seem to miss the boat. In fact, the increased number of positive of tests. When you have a constant death rate, because the number of deaths isn't significantly increasing, means the rate of death is much lower. Let me let me let me let me bring a they, let me
0: let me bring a medical opinion here, Jim, Doctor Goldman. What's your what's your take on it?
1: Well, no, I mean I think that it, it, it is true that the case fatality rate for those under seventy is somewhere in the range of point uh, zero the point one to 0. 0.05 which we put it on the range of a, a seasonal flu. Um, there's no question that among older patients um, that the lethality rate is, is much higher. Um, I guess the, 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 the question is, Jim, are you saying that this is an engineered pandemic or simply that it, it, opportunism And a misunderstanding of basic biostatistics is what's working
5: here. What does appear to be engineered, uh, I mean, even the virus itself appears to be a subject of uh, genetic engineering. And where we have... uh uh, a Nobel Prize winner in, has declared that if this is not, uh, you know, a geoengineered uh, virus, then he would give up his Nobel Prize. It appears to have been, originated in Fort Detrick, been carried over to North Carolina Chapel Hill, where I actually taught myself a year, and then moved to the Wuhan Lamb. Where Dr. Anthony, I call him Tony the Rat Fauci, because virtually everything he's told us about this is false and bol- moving a political agenda and been vastly destructive to the United States. He gave like uh, 3.8 million dollars to the Wuhan lab, which even appears to be a violation of the law. So, wait. but the point is, that the, the the statistics are all wrong. We got a state senator, by the way, name of Scott Jensen, who's also an MD. Who who is asked to identify the cause of death of a patient who had never even been tested as COVID-19. He's revealed that the hospitals are being given $13,000 for every patient they identified as COVID and another 39 for everyone they put on a ventilator. All these statistics are manufactured and exaggerated and grossly beyond belief. And the, and the offer, the solutions were given like the lockdown, social distancing and wearing masks, all actually counterproductive. Just take mass, for example. You're rebreathing air that's already oxygen depleted. That means you're putting a strain on your cardiovascular system and your cells. Because they're not getting the oxygen they need. In fact, I'm predicting it, that as a result of all this face mask wearing, we're going to have an average, a drop in the average IQ of Americans of five points. Oh there. well,
0: so I, I, we we not. we absolutely can't afford that. Hey, uh, Jim, I got one more. I got I got oh, one last. <laughs> not doing I, too well to
5: begin with. Jim, but, I got one 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 quick
0: the, you know, the last thing
1: I I would say, Jim, is I'm not sure why you would bioengineer a virus that. Um, only has a case lethality rate of 0.05
5: wow yeah i think really yeah they they could do they could do better than that i think initially (laughs) it was supposed to be a lot stronger and it it may have mutated in the process or what you know just the the way evolution works here but it is fascinating they didn't get what they wanted but most Uh, important it seems to me there was a simple cure anthony fauci knew from an article published in his journal of virology in 2005 that chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine is a virtual wonder drug here. It's not only a cure uh, if you have it, but it's a preventative. And where we have a brand new study now from the European uh, Journal of Internal Medicine. Jim, I'm
0: going to I'm going to have to cut Jim I'm, gonna well, Jim. I'm going to Jim. I'm going to have to Jim. I'm going to have to cut you off. Jim, I'm going to have to cut. Ahead. I'm going to have to cut you off because we got to run to a break. I'm sure we could talk until the next moon landing, but we are we got to run to a break here. Uh, Jim Fessler joining us, folks and Dr. Charles Goldman back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
3: It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Thanks to some of our local business partners. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store and also a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They got a takeout service, so you can't you don't have to miss any day of the week. They're open Monday through Monday. There we go. Uh, <laughs> Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Ritual Cafe on 13th Street. Fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and an all vegetarian menu. And again, they're open for business through takeout. That's Ritual Cafe. All right. Welcome back to the program. With me now, Kathy Burns. You know, um, it's that time of the year when people are done thinking about planting. Uh Aha. But maybe you should still be thinking about planting.
6: Right. um, At Birds and Bees Urban Farm, we are thinking about the fall crops as early as Last fall, we, we're kind of, <laughs> we're kind of, we always think about... a uh, year try, ahead. Try to think a year ahead. And you, how many times do we go past somebody's garden? I know I know, we just passed the summer solstice, but how many times do we go past the, the somebody's garden just a couple weeks after the start of summer and we see it starting to get really nice and, and great and all the produce on? Two weeks after that, they're kind of done with it. They're, they're just sort of... They, they're winding yeah. it down and by... By uh, end of August, they're kind of putting their stuff
0: away. Fall garden really starts August 1st. That's the time to start thinking about what to plant. And um, you'd be amazed at how many things you can plant uh, that do really well in the fall. Some things even do better in the
6: fall than in the spring. Especially these days. We are facing some current food scarcity some potential food scarcity, not only because of the changing climate, the, the seasons are certainly shifting. We see that here in Iowa, but also the COVID-19 pandemic has, um, has caused people to really wonder how they're going to get the food that they need. So if you've never done a fall garden before, think about it this year, and, and there are some serious considerations. So, you know,
0: Again, like with most planting, you might plant some seeds, you might plant some plants, so, Kathy, um, I believe you said you were going to check around and see what might be available.
6: Right. Uh, we've started a couple of our seedlings that we're going to plant this fall. But, but I thought, well, for people who don't start their own seedlings, they're going to want to find those at stores. And you might think about planting your own this year <laughs> if you if you haven't. I called five stores this morning in the local Des Moines area. Uh, the first two stores I called were locally, or, locally owned garden and farm specific centers, and first of all, a a person answered the phone right away. They understood my question when I... That was
0: Des Moines uh, Feed and... The
6: first one was Des Moines Feed and the second one was Feed Nature Center. The second one was Good Greenhouses. Uh, Both people who answered the phone understood that I was asking about fall gardening they knew that we didn't want to start planting tomatoes in the fall or for the fall. They knew that we didn't want to start planting peppers for the fall. They knew I was talking about broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower.
0: Lettuce, lettuce spinach, spinach, radishes, pe- yes. arugula.
6: Beets, carrots, yeah. turnips. Lots of things. Some, lots of things you can plant in the fall. So they understood the question and they told me um, that they have either very little or none. Uh, one store said they have a few of the brassicas left, and uh, the other store told me that they are not sure they're going to get any. And this is because the growers aren't sure that they're going to be able to provide any.
0: But you, you actually got a response from the local businesses at least.
6: And then, then I called a uh, a. a mid-size regional chain and you can say the name it's okay it was earl may one of the (laughs) earl may stores um she understood the question after i clarified it a little bit and she she was she was nice you know i didn't get a an answering machine or anything and they were they were very nice but they said they are not going to be at this particular one that i called they were not going to be stocking seedlings to plant in the fall they would have a lot of vegetables left over from the summer plantings but none left then I called two big box stores you can say I, the call, names. I called Home Depot <laughs> and I I went to the voicemail and I finally got number I punched a zero to get a person and I was put on hold five so seven times before I got to somebody who they could never connect me with the garden center, but that person offered to go back and ask the question and came back to me and said that they they didn't really understand the question. <laughs> and then I called the Walmart, one of the Walmart garden centers. <laughs> when, I, when I called the general number, they couldn't even connect me. They said there was nobody who was answering the phone in the garden center. So that's our little spiel about, you know, go local. Yeah. In
0: other words, uh, fall gardening is... Uh... A foreign concept to a lot of people and a lot of businesses Um, again the local businesses seem to have a much better grasp of it than than the big chains no surprise there to me but the uh, the bottom line is uh, it's a really I mean we we get so much good stuff in the fall I'd say the best crop Turnips. (laughs) Turnips. <laughs> we had turnips coming on our ears. It looks really funny when you have a turnip coming out of your ear, but figure once you get t- it out of there and t- cook it up, it tastes really good. But uh, we had a good carrot carrot crop, mm-hmm. okay beet crop, but great lettuce, um, good spinach, mm-hmm. good arugula. I don't mm-hmm. remember, the radishes didn't do that well.
6: Not last uh, fall. Not last Maybe fall. they'll do but well. This
0: year, the new experiments are broccoli and cauliflower, mm-hmm. and we don't expect the garden shops to have those. We're starting those from seed ourselves. And we'll see how they do. Um, you know, I've never done well with cauliflower in the spring, so maybe that's the ticket—is to try it in the fall. But the the, the big challenge is again—the the two challenges are getting the plants, okay. and you might have to, or, you might or have the to, seeds. Yeah, you might have to start them yourself. And again, if, you, if you're going to do that, do it right away because you need to, you need to get those going. But if you're going to be planting seeds, again, that first week of August or so is key. But once you plant them, it's so darn hot. You got to water them. Every morning and every evening. you know.
6: Keep a close while, eye. While they're young. Keep a really yeah. close eye. Um, if you are going to be planting from seed, get your seeds now or order them now because yeah. they will be gone just like they were this spring. Um, and some of the suppliers ran out of seed, and they, they weren't able to provide that. Yeah. So um, so I, you know, I think it's important. Also, you need to think about what beds you're going to be using and see if once you clear the crop that's in there out, say you've got green beans that are just at the end of producing, you clear that out, uh, see if it needs some extra nourishment, some mm-hmm. compost, Uh, Don't put fresh manure in there, please, because (laughs) that burns your crops.
0: We've been doing a rotation every single year. I know, generally speaking, you don't want to have the same crop in the same place every year. But within one year, we do a two-crop rotation that seems to be working really well, garlic. Uh, We're about to harvest our garlic, and that land will, well, then right away, we'll go ahead and add a bunch of good compost, turn it in, let it sit for a few weeks... And then plant um, our fall turnips there. And that rotation seems to work really well. Mm-hmm. And again, with every bed that we will be converting from the current spring crop to the fall crop, we'll be adding you know, some nourishment. Maybe in some cases, like with, with the carrots, we might add some sand. But um, the, the bottom line is uh, you can do this. <laughs> and you'll be really glad you did because, you know, I mean, for us, we have lettuce six months of the year. March, April, May, June. We're about done. We're on our last salad coming up this week.
6: It's still crispy. And
0: then we'll have it in September, October, and part of November.
6: Uh, um. Another thing to consider before you get your fall crops started is the sun is going to be different during mm. the fall than it has been for you during the summer. You may have had a, a, one of your garden beds in full sun through the summer, but because of the angle of the sun and, and you know, it's... Uh,
0: Trees, buildings. Trees,
6: yep. Uh just, birds. Just start to anticipate where the sun is going to be, and how many hours of daylight do they, good sun do they need? It
0: varies, yeah, it varies. It varies per crop. Yeah.
6: More than a few hours.
0: Yeah, that's the the biggest challenge. You know, the biggest challenge in the spring is making sure stuff doesn't get too cold. The biggest challenge for a fall garden is making sure it doesn't get too hot. And so they don't need a lot of water when they're first getting going. I mean, the, the seed, of course, just needs a little wetting twice a day. And once the seedling starts, you know, a little bit of water. Just a just a couple times a day, just to keep it uh, keep it from drying out. But this you'll is be why very we, very grateful.
6: This is why we don't get away a lot.
0: We have an eating problem. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but you know here, another argument for for raising lettuce in the fall, BLTs. I mean, I love a BLT, but you can only get the T in the fall. Mm-hmm. so if you're going to get your lettuce with your tea you've got to have fall lettuce and if Bacon, you get tomato and fall you lettuce your,
6: when you get your bee be sure to get it from a local producer please right. so somebody that that you can count on to um, not only grow their their pork sustainably but to uh, protect their workers as they as they so grow I it.
0: think our plan would be to put up some videos of uh, fall gardening pretty soon so people get a sense of what's involved and maybe uh, have time to prepare the soil to take a crack at it. And again, not just the soil, but getting your plants, getting your seeds.
6: They should check our YouTube channel then, Birds and Bees Urban Farm YouTube. Yeah.
0: Hey, thanks for tuning in today, folks. And again, Kathy Burns, thanks for joining us for this conversation. Again, we try to do uh, a section on how to regarding gardening and urban farming every uh, every show, every week, the uh, tale, the last segment. When we get through all the tough stuff like conspiracy theories and, uh, and tearing down statues and what to do with them. Yeah, then we talk about stuff we can all agree on. So again, thanks for tuning in to today's Fallon Forum. Thanks to Kathy Burns and Sherry Herdina, our production team. Thanks to the stations in Iowa and around the country that rebroadcast this program. And thanks to you, our audience, for checking us out. This is Ed Fallon, your host, saying goodbye till next week.